0: Welcome to Straight White American Jesus. My name is Brad Onishi, faculty of the University of San Francisco. Our show is hosted in a partnership with the CAP Center, UCSB. I'm joined today by a great guest, Aaron Griffith, uh, who is an assistant professor of uh, modern American history at Whitworth University up in Washington. Uh, Someone who I'm going to embarrass him, just won a a great award, 2021 Emerging, Emerging Public Intellectual Award, which is pretty cool. And we're here today to talk about Aaron's book, uh, God's law and order: the politics of punishment in evangelical America. So, Aaron, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having
1: me. It's great to be here.
0: E- even more glad that you joined me because I know you did some holiday travel that was uh, a little bit, a little bit nightmarish, and so you made it. You're you're out of the car, out of the plane, in a warm house, and ready to talk about God's law and order. That's this is you know what. It-
1: that's right. I honestly, I would talk about anything from a uh, warrant from a non-plane situation uh, right now. So we can talk about whatever <laughs> right. you want. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. I'm going to keep that in the back of my head, so we'll see where this conversation okay. goes. But, it can only go up for um, my last my last twelve hours. So, no. um, well, last week we had uh, a great guest, Robert Mason, who talked about. Uh, Romans thirteen, and we talked a lot about law and order and the way Romans thirteen has been used and abused throughout uh, uh, Christian history and so on. Today, we're talking about your book, which is uh, which is truly uh, a, a really great piece of scholarship. Hmm. God's law and order: the politics of punishment in evangelical Mer- evangelical America. And what I love about this book is you, you do something that I really love when historians do, which is like in my if you would have asked me before reading your book, hey, evangelicals, law and order mass incarceration, those all go go together, right? And I'd be like, of course, yeah, I, that makes total sense. And I think I could talk about it. And I probably actually couldn't. Like I could probably like gesture toward why I thought that and sort of give some very vague, you know, like thesis statement. But I would not have like been able to really flesh it out. And I think I, I, what I love about the book is it's something I felt like I knew about going in. And then as soon as I got into it, I was like, I actually don't know about this at all. And it's opening up so many like, Pathways and turning on so many light bulbs that uh, that really made sense and clicked, but I wouldn't have been able to get there on my own. So let me just start by asking you this: Evangelicals in your historical account play a kind of pivotal role in the development of the carceral state over the course of the 20th century, mm-hmm. and are sort of like key figures in this idea of law and order and the idea that criminals need to be punished. Right? Yeah. That if you do something wrong you you need to be punished for that. So first question is this, why did crime and punishment matter so much to evangelicals like in the mid 20th century, 1940, 1950? Yeah. And how did they sort of frame this theologically and politically?
1: Yeah, um, first of all, again, thanks for having me on and I I think your initial reaction to this topic is is also one that I had like getting started and it's one that I I get when I talk to people about my work um, or, or research is that a lot of what I'm, I do in the book, the themes I'm addressing seems intuitive in some ways for people, perhaps who are aware of religion and public life in, in some ways, or evangelical influence in politics, um, or just have a sense, perhaps they're not interested in evangelicals at all, but just have a sense of their own of all right, what kinds of ways of thinking are more punitive uh, or what kinds of people tend to want to have more punitive outcomes? And then what should we just simply do in response to crime? And it was that more intuitive aspect that I really wanted to like play around with in the book and um, both in the sense of hopefully reframing some things or even just offering historical background to some things that people take uh, for granted pushing back in places where I saw that we could clarify or even um, change the the way we view stuff, but also really uh, trying to contextualize that intuitive sensibility for so many Americans, not simply evangelical Christians, but this notion that I think is shared by a lot of Americans that crime uh, is a problem and needs to be dealt with in, uh, certain ways, uh, like punishment, and it was that assumption that I really wanted to try to to wrestle with in the book was like, where do we even get this notion? Where, when we just when Americans expect to have police and policing be a major feature of their lives, why is that seemingly normal? Why does that? Why is why do we just look at prisons and expect them to be a part of our? Uh, social existence? Where does that come from? What is the religious history there? And so that was in some ways like the big or a major reason why I got into the the work and something that animates um, my uh, thinking even to today. But more specifically to um, your question, um, crime and punishment mattered to evangelicals in two very broad ways. Um, So first there's the crime part um, in the 1950s and 60s, uh, issues of crime, issues of delinquency, partic- uh, particularly juvenile delinquency, were at the forefront of a lot of Americans' minds. And this is a period where worries about rebellion and rebellious teenagers um, are, are, are pretty common. Think movies like Rebel Without a Cause. Like, what are we going to do about all these teenagers who are out causing problems? Um, and uh, this was also a time of worry about social unrest, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but the for evangelicals, rebellion, delinquency, crime, easily became shorthand for sin. Um, it just seemed very natural to them that these things that teenagers or that gangs are doing, Was simple or or sinful. And uh, this was a very convenient addition to evangelicals' narration of conversion that sinners need redemption. They need the gospel in order to get saved. And to put it somewhat uh, simply, like criminals had sinned, it was their own fault. They had chosen to commit a crime. They had chosen to be rebellious or to join the gang or or whatever, and were culpable. Um, And it wasn't, their crime was not fundamentally because of social conditions or other systemic explanations. And in the 50s and 60s, this became like a very common trope that lots of evangelicals uh, started putting forth, not in a, a formal or academic analysis of the crime problem as much as in just their preaching. So uh, preachers like Billy Graham and David Wilkerson, who are very popular at mid-century, are putting this formula to work uh, to great effect um, as a metaphor for the plan of salvation, um, that here are uh, sins that are being committed by these criminals, and they need to receive the gospel. uh, But also in their outreach to populations that they deem as criminal, like gangs, juvenile delinquents, um, and increasingly prisoners. So this is the story of uh, the 50s especially, Um, but in the 1960s, there's also an increasing concern from many white Americans about unrest and social disorder in the midst of the civil rights movement, uh, anti-war protest, and in uprisings in American cities, um, what they would have uh, called riots. And white evangelicals understand crime into the 1960s as a social problem, a social sin, a sign of growing secularity, uh, of growing decadence in in American culture. And again, there's little attention here from evangelicals to systemic problems that motivate uh, uprisings, for example, or or protests. For evangelicals, it's not about white supremacy. It's not about uh, racism. Um, it's not about generations of poverty uh, that affect certain communities. It's about when people protest, or when people are disobedient, or have a uh, you know when they riot, they are breaking the law, and therefore are sinful. And this is where punishment really starts to become an option for evangelicals. Uh, In the 1950s, especially with people like Billy Graham and David Wilkerson, the individualistic frame worked with the possibility of forgiveness, that criminals might receive the grace of Christ. In the 60s though, punishment, policing, incarceration uh, becomes idealized it becomes labeled as sacred itself, and evangelicals see it as, from then on, part of America's duty to constrain evil, and uh, therefore it's a cause worth supporting.
0: Thanks for listening to this free preview of our Swag episode. In order to get access to the full episode and so much more, become a straight white American Jesus premium subscriber by clicking the link in the show notes. It'll take you like two clicks, I promise. In addition to getting access to this episode,